Focus on Creative podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, well, welcome back. It's Rich Langton here, uh, back for another episode, one I'm pretty excited about. We have someone from our own team here at Hillsong Creative. If you've ever wondered if a DJ can become a production guru, oversight, leader, person, then you've come to the right place because, yes, a DJ can do that. Um, you'll hear in Mush's story, Mushiri Gatiri, who we're about to interview, that he came to Australia to do Bible college at Hillsong College. But when he came, he was a DJ. He found then over time that uh, I guess the DJ life wasn't actually for him and that God had other things for him. So in this interview, we talk about life, leadership and where God might take you, being open-handed, caring for people and even how being a production person or a person behind the scenes doesn't mean you can't be a people person. So I think you'll enjoy this one. We'll jump straight into it and don't forget to hang around afterwards because we're going to answer some more of your questions and uh, I hope you're enjoying that. If you are enjoying us answering your questions, please let us know on our Instagram or um, by rating the podcast on, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps us, gives us good feedback, and it lets people know that the podcast is worth listening to. So anyway, we'll jump straight in now. We'll talk to you afterwards. Well, I'm here in the creative offices at Hillsong Church, and I have a very special guest with us today. It's Mushiri Gatiri. Mush, welcome to the podcast. Oh, wow. I'm a guest, guys. Yeah. This is great. Great now, to be here. That was very formal. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. You, you um, as, as we've talked about, uh, you know, before we started recording, you interviewed me some time back, but now I get my own back. I know. I feel like I'm back. I think, yeah, it did happen, which is very nerve-wracking, and this may even be more nerve-wracking, having you now ask me the questions. No, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I think for the people listening at home, let them know... I guess, who you are and what role you play here at Hillsong Church. So my name's, like Rich said, is Mushiri Gateri. I'm part of our um, creative team here in Sydney, Australia. I look after our team across our creative technology team, also known as production teams, depending on where, where you are and what your department chooses to call them. But yeah, I look after our teams across the country. I've uh, been in this role now for about maybe three and a half, maybe four years, coming up to four years now. Yeah. How long have you been at Hillsong Church? Including my college career, <laughs> is uh, I showed up in 03, so that's what, 15 years, coming up to 16 by May 2019. So um, you've been here 15 or so years, but Australia wasn't where you grew up. No, uh, yeah, exactly. My first 21 years were lived in Nairobi, Kenya. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then how did you get here? Okay, short story is, yes, so I had, I was introduced to the music back home by a missionary family. Because you're a musician? Well, at the time I wasn't, I was a DJ. Okay. So I guess, I don't know, is that class as a musician? I'm not sure. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't we can know. put we'll it call, out there to the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a poll. But yeah, so I, I got saved at a 1999. And so as I was kind of doing the whole cell group life thing and all that, I was introduced to the music, got to see a few videos, quite intrigued that a church would be doing, you know, music and worship at that level. And all that was like quite intriguing. I was, mm. in, I was I'm fairly technical minded and, and all that. So I quite intrigued and it's like man it'd be kind of cool to see how that all comes together but never really thought i would ever get to it's just one of those things you go oh that'd be amazing if right anyway so left it and all that but my cell group leader at the, at the time challenged me to go to actually think and pursue it and actually entertain the thought of potentially even you know 
going across to Sydney, Australia. Then in amongst all these conversations, I found out there was a college here. Right. So then it's like, oh, but I was still very skeptical. I was still very like, oh, no way, too expensive, too far, too complicated, too mm. everything. So I just left it on the side. But they kept pestering me in the nicest of, nicest mm. of ways. Fast forward, decided to just, okay, they said, just check with your parents, just just have, have the conversation and just to get them off my back. I said, right. okay, fine. In my mind, me asking my dad for this was, might as well tell you now to know. Right. So I just did it to get him off my back. And no, because it would be too expensive or? Too, too expensive. It's too far you know, away. Too far away. And the whole idea of moving, going to do Bible college that's out of the world did not quite appeal to where our family was at at the time. Right. So in my mind, that was like, I'll do this to get you off my back mm-hmm. as this is a cell group leader now. <laughs> So I'll do this to get you off my back, and um, you know, just and we can end this and keep <laughs> keep going. Right. Quick catch is I did ask the question, and my dad goes, "Tell me more." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, all right." Didn't expect that, so I did. <laughs> and honestly, without with what felt like a miraculous sequence of events, that he entertained the idea. In sh- in you know, in the next short period of time, he was. He was, he was asking me questions about how much does it cost? When do you want to go? Right. I'm like, so now we're really having a conversation about this potentially happening. Mm. And so fast forward that, I'm, I'm walking into immigration offices, I'm arranging passports and visas and everything else. And you know, one thing leads to the other. And I'm, in, I think in about a year or so, six months to about a year, I had tickets, I had a visa, fees were paid, and I was making my way to Australia. How old were you? I was 21 at the time. Okay, so not super young, but pretty yeah, young. Yeah, pretty young, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you're a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I say that, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Somewhat of a DJ, yes, let's yes, say that. Yes. And you and you heard about Hillsong Church, the music, yeah. and then Bible College. What did you expect would happen when you got here, or, or like when once you'd done college? I don't think I had that much foresight, to be honest with you. I think I was very more like, because I had not, I had not entertained the idea of this ever being a possibility. Hmm. Then I had never formulated an idea of what I wanted to look like. Right. My story is one of just walking through the doors God has opened. I'm not entirely sure I've had a grand plan of what I wanted my life to look like in, the, in terms of 10 years, in terms of the activity of my life. Mm. But I've always felt like God has opened doors and I've just stepped into them. And that's really, even just since showing up here in 03, that's really been the journey for the last 15, 16 years or so. Mm. It's really just the door, the open door is the one I've stepped into and 16 years later, I'm still doing this. The one thing that I feel like maybe I do know for, for a fact is I want to be in his house doing something and adding value to what we're about and perpetuating what the church is all about. Yeah. And it's, and I know it sounds fairly like, oh yeah, that's a great textbook answer, but it really is. Like, I don't think it's, I don't, I, that's the one thing that I feel like has never deviated because I have held fairly different responsibilities all within our team in creative, but fairly different. And at any point in time, I've never felt like one, one each of those were the be all and end all. Mm. I've always been able to go, okay, well, that's okay. I'm here now, but I feel like there's a need there. Nobody else, so okay, okay, I'll I'll go and see what I can do. Right. So and you didn't ever think, you know, you're in Ni- Nairobi, thinking I, if I could just get to Australia and one day I could maybe head up the production no, team or no way, no, I didn't, no way. <laughs> Even just you hearing you say that in seven goes like not in not in a single moment did I ever think that. Let alone see. I even doubted the fact that I could even be in the country to even see this firsthand, right. let alone being a student here, let alone being on staff, let alone being, you know, one of a team, or one of our leaders here, let alone mm. 15 years later, you know, and in and, and the position I hold now. It's, mm. 
nah, none of that has been anything has been aspirational for me in terms of I want that. Mm. It's just been more going. I love where, what what this place is about. I deeply do. I love our team. The rest is as needed. Mm. So there's probably people listening even now in Nairobi, like almost like a young yeah, like Mashiri. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, what advice would you give to them about pursuing dreams versus just being faithful or going through the doors that God opens? I think the biggest thing, honestly, is understanding that this this desire we have to be able to see our lives amount to something and our lives do something. God's desire to see that happen is actually way, way, way greater than our desire. I feel like sometimes we care about our future more than we think God cares about it. Mm. And so we f- that's why sometimes we feel like we need to get in the driver's seat and make something happen. Mm. Now, I'm not negating any need for effort and activity and work and everything else and being able to have a, you know, own, be, take responsibility for yourself. But understanding at the end of the day, God cares about you getting to where he wants you to go than you do. Mm. And that in itself there, if you understand that, then you can go about the, the daily activity of your life and trust that the God can direct you and the doors that open will open because God wants them open. Yeah. And yours is to keep yourself faithful where you are. Mm. You don't graduate from that. This story that God is writing of your life, he's writing it and he He cares about the storyline even more than you do. Mm. So I feel like the, if you're going to put any effort in, put effort into putting, making the most of where you are now and what he's given you. Mm. And the rest, honestly, God will actually bring to pass in his time and in his fashion. Mm. So, the way you talk, it doesn't sound like your average production person. Um, I've met lots of production people. Perhaps the people listening know what I'm talking about. Um, what makes you different? I Are know, you Rich. different? Yes, and that's that's my and that's my que- that would be my question. Am I like I'm, I don't know like because I'm not sure that it's 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 a point of difference that I've necessarily attempted to make. I think doing this faith walk, take away, take away what I do and my responsibilities, doing the faith walk and being someone who actually is a Christian and a, and a follower of Christ, as mm-hmm. I think it does that to you. And I think the expression doesn't define me. In other words, my role doesn't necessarily define me. And I've, I've, I've tried as much as I can through all the years to be able to keep the things that need to be front and center, front and center. Mm. But that's, again, the production side of things is an expression. It's not me. As in, I guess what what people would see day to day and week to week, it's fine. It's what's needed, but that's not what it doesn't come. That's not the basis of who I am. All that expression sits on the foundation of being a Christ follower, being a, hopefully being a good father, and hopefully being a good husband, and hopefully being a good friend. And the expression of that, and if that's sitting in a good place, then I can come and take on my responsibilities on this team and hopefully deliver something that that's actually worth you know worth delivering. This is, and this is why I feel like some of the guys around our world can get it wrong is that the expression becomes the be all and end all of life in the production world because the, the, the outcomes are so measurable, the outcomes are so apparent and mm. the outcomes are so, you know, quantifiable, you know, that you, there's every chance that somebody will quiz you and question you on your outcome. But there's a very little chance that somebody will come and quiz you and question you and your fatherhood and your how you are as a husband or as a, or as a Christ follower. Right. Now we should, don't get me wrong, mm. but I'm just saying the way life happens and the pace of life, the pace of church life, mm. we will measure a service and that's fine. But if we stop at that, then I think we teach our people to then only deliver at this level because mm. that's all we seem to be able to want to measure or right. want to measure. And like I said, I think... I don't know if I said this before, but I feel like there's element, there's times again, the time and time again, I've come to a place where I know I haven't been enough. Mm-hmm. 
as good or as 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 I may think I am, I have not been enough. And in those moments, there's been I guess forks in the road of going, is it a question of just trying harder? Or is it a question of actually digging deep and allowing God to actually do something in me and then do something through me in his power? Yeah, that, that I've asked that question so many times, mm. but I feel like I, you almost need to get to that place repeatedly to remind yourself that you're never going to be in enough in and of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Right. Again, we've heard this before. We're not building this church. Mm. We're putting activity, but he builds the church. Mm. And this activity that I'm putting in is great and he will take it and he'll use it. Mm. But it's actually not the linchpin or it's actually not the, it's not, it's not the difference maker here, mm-hmm. you know? But I think sometimes we do need to be reminded every so often that, hey, do your bit, you know, deliver, deliver what you need to deliver, be diligent because I that's, that is part of the expectation and part of the being, part of being on this team and being, you know, being a Christian mm. is you are, you, you do, you do exemplify these qualities that make you, that make you a great leader and make you a great team member. Mm. By the end of the day, never forget that this is actually something that he's building and not you, mm. <laughs> you know? So that gap is always, for, for me, I feel like that gap is always crucial. And I almost feel like I never wanted to go away because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. <laughs> right. So I understand that Christ builds the church. Yeah. But then how do you stop from feeling like your contribution is, is not even necessary well yeah how do you how do you feel like it's valuable yeah. to contribute if it's all about Christ building the church that's interesting because I I don't know I think God's fashion has always been through people I do feel my contribution is valuable but only because of what he then does with it not right. in and of itself right. in and of itself it's I'm sure it's fine I'm sure it makes some level of impact but to bring to bring the level of impact that is needed to have our life that's meaningful and a life that actually impacts other lives. It's not my activity that it's not my activity that actually does that. It's what he does with my activity. Mm. So yes, I will work hard. I will bring this and I'll do my best failing here and, and you know, winning there, failing here. That's all fine. Mm. But I think it's what he then does with that. Right. His way has always been people. And I think always will be people, which mm. is why he put his, his, you know, the church was instituted as, the, 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 I guess, in a sense, the agent of change for, you know, throughout the ages since the first church back then. Mm. So there's a reason why that happened. Mm. He could have chosen any other way mm-hmm. in any other way to, you know, to bring my humanity back to him and everything else and, rest- and do all the restoration work that he's done. Yep. But he chose the church mm. and he chose people. Mm. So for me, that's me in whatever sphere of influence and in life I have. Mm. I think that's a good opportunity to maybe segue a little bit yeah. into talking about teams yeah, right. and leading teams, yeah. uh, particularly of production teams. Yeah. We call them creative technology. Yeah, that's right. My perception of perhaps a lot of production teams is that their leader is the very best technical person they have. How do you perceive that you're different to that or our team is set up perhaps a little bit different to that? Firstly, I am well aware that I'm not the best in any of the things we are responsible for. Even though interestingly, like do wear the responsibility, like I am answerable to yourself and to, mm-hmm. and to cast and a few other people for the outcomes, but I am not you know, the best at any of those things. Mm. The way I would perceive my responsibility on this team in that regard is I'm responsible for for being able to lead a team that can deliver those outcomes. Right. So in other words, from your end, as the person I'm accountable for, I'm responsible for making sure that I understand what your, what your expectations are mm-hmm. and where we're going as a team and what we're responsible for. Mm. Then flip that aside. And, I look, and I, when I turn back and look at my team, I want to make sure that those things that I've taken, in that, that understanding that I hopefully have, 
I've then taken back and I've actually communicated that mm. to the team and they understand and they're equipped for it right. and they're prepared for it. And they understand that that's what we need to deliver and keeping them focused on the right thing. Mm. And even from a technical point of view, do they have everything they need to do to, to deliver the outcomes that have been expected of them? Mm. That's that's the dynamic that I feel like I have right now, mm. where I sit between understanding what we're about from a big picture perspective and then taking that and hopefully being able to articulate that to a team that is technical on the ground. Yeah. So then how do you go from being a technical person to being a, a more leadership focused person? It's not accidental, for starters. Right. I mean, I'm just being honest. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is, it, it doesn't just happen. I feel like you've got to in your. In, it's got to be a deliberate decision to go. Hang on, growth. The growth that we're seeing here, the progress that we're trying to see, the you know the expansion, everything else that is seems to be what you know seems to be make up the ethos of who we are here. We you know, mm. it needs me to be this. It needs me to be that for me. As I grew and as 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 um as our church grew and as as I became more and more aware of what we we're about, it became really apparent that maybe my biggest contribution right now is not necessarily to be a a much better monitor guy engineer. I could do it, but maybe what Cass and Rich need right now, maybe what Brian needs right now, is a leader who can take a group of ten monitor guys, right? Mm-hmm. Equip them first of all, I guess in a sense, gather them, equip them, and deploy them back to do what this, they're called to do. Because right. as good as I am, I'm only ever going to do one mix in one location for one service at a time. So maybe I need to be able to step back a bit, give five other people the chance to be able to do the same growth journey that I've had because mm-hmm. after that, then we can do five services. Mm-hmm. How good is that? And that's growth. <laughs> but that was a very deliberate realization that I, I didn't just need to work harder at that thing. I, didn't, I needed to change where my effort was going. Mm. And so my effort wasn't necessarily in bettering my skills. My effort was in more about gathering people and, de- and developing them and deploying them. Right. But that was a very deliberate decision, mm. which did not come easily because I did try to just work harder and do more. And at some point I went, no. It's mm. actually not going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which I think we should talk about in a minute, but I have a question first. Yeah, go. How do you not hold on to the value of the position then? So someone's a doer and they're good at it. Yeah, and right. so they're being elevated, they're given, being given opportunity. Yeah. Well, how do they give that, that position up in order to perhaps give someone else an opportunity and then not feel like they're losing their value? I think you have that conversation before you have to make the decision to let it go. In other words, so... We're talking about me potentially getting to a place of realization that maybe that me being the one person is not enough, right? Right. I would argue that that conversation or that decision or that um, whatever it is needs to happen at the onset of my introduction to team. Right. So on day one, when I show up as a monitor guy or as a front house guy or as a lighting guy, hopefully my leader sets that tone, that benchmark from day one going, hey, I love that you're here. Mm. And I love the skills that you'll bring and the skills the skills you bring now and the skills that you will continue to bring as you grow. Mm. In parallel to all that, it is paramount that you understand that this the roles that we hold here are not ours to hold. Mm. We're here to grow and to, to serve whatever whatever vision it is that we have here. Mm-hmm. At that point, it looks like developing people is as much a value as it is you becoming better. Mm. Because I think if that doesn't happen at the onset, trying to shoehorn that in at, at, at five years down the line when somebody has really ingrained themselves into a team, mm. right? And now you're trying to say, hey, by the way, 
what you should be doing also is making room for the next guy and training them. <laughs> right. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's a lot harder to be able to try and, in a sense, retract or undo five years worth of potentially five years worth of a certain trajectory and a certain right. momentum and a certain direction mm. to try and say, I know I should have told you this at the onset, but maybe you should <laughs> think about developing somebody else. Right. Because but, but did you always think that you would move on from monitors engineering? I didn't, well, I didn't think I'd always will, which is why I said before, I, I think it had to be a very deliberate thing when yeah. I, I realized that I actually, well, hang on, maybe what's needed of me now is not what I think I, maybe not what I've been doing for the last five years. Right. So I didn't think about it all the time, but in the back of my mind, I, I always knew that this could be different tomorrow. Right. It could be, or the reality is I could still be 15 years worth of doing monitors and that's fine too, if that's mm. what was needed. Mm. But for me, I think I always understood that what I'm doing now may not be what I'm doing tomorrow. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. But it's here now, so I'll do it now. And right. then when tomorrow comes, I'll do that as well. Yeah. Now, that was not necessarily, that, that was ingrained in me from the very initial start of what, when, I showed, when I showed up. In mm. other words, of I knew that the role I played was more of an expression as opposed to who I was. So, and again, maybe, and I'm wired this way as well. So I guess maybe I'm predispositioned to think this way, right. but I go where the need is mm. and I meet the needs. So you and Cass could tell me tomorrow that they actually need to go this way. And that's fine. Mm. I will go there because I really haven't cared too much about the actual expression of it. Right. But I think that's some, that's a, a cultural value that I feel like needs to be ingrained in our team from the onset. Mm. So the kind of things that can become very difficult when you try and in a sense, graft them into someone who has a pre, you know, pre-established way of thinking and functioning on a team yes you know yeah. five years into their service or two years into their service right i understand yeah. and then there's the aspect of perhaps a role grows to the point where you you're finding maybe you can't do it all and therefore you perhaps need some other people who need to yeah, develop, right. <laughs> develop some other people how do you keep going i suppose is the question how do you keep going when a role gets too big for you what do you do that is a very real conversation right now. That is definitely not a hypothetical question. No, serious. <laughs> yeah. Not being honest. I'm being honest because that's, in a sense, that's sort of where I am. Mm -hmm. I've been in this position in, diff in with different levels of intensity over the years. Mm. Never been where I'm at now without with that question. Mm. But I am sort of in that in that season now where I'm trying to work out. There's a direction we're going in, and there's a growth that can, that's that's sparked by that, you know, vision and everything else. Mm. I think what happens is I've found that I've got to be able to stop for a moment and actually define what the, what's actually required of me. What do I need to grow in to be able to then meet the need of what the role requires? Right. I feel like sometimes we just skate through life from one thing to the other and life happens and life happens and there's no stock take. Mm-hmm. So the role has grown and that's mm. great, but I haven't done the homework of stopping and understanding what the role requires of me, mm. which then means I haven't taken the time to then respond to that and grow in the areas that are needed to be able to do the role. Right. So, you know, so, so this whole idea of riding on the momentum of life as a leader is actually a little bit dangerous. I know we love the momentum because it kind of, it's progress. Mm. But if that's all that's triggering the progress of your life, that's a bit dangerous because you never take time to stop and actually assess where you're at mm. in relation to the role. And I'll be honest with you, I've done that before where the role has kind of grown. We, are, we live in a very high paced church here and there's momentum and there's growth and there's expectation. And it's all the things that we love about our church. Mm. But those things are a two-edged sword if we don't deal with them properly. Mm -hmm. In this case, like I'm saying, it's being able to stop and assess and saying, amazing, after I've high-fived you about the progress and growth, I need to stop and find out what my response to that growth needs to be right. before I just dive in and do more stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe the efforts I need to be putting in are not necessarily the efforts I was putting in yesterday. Right. 
So then what's the responsibility of the individual yeah. versus the, the team or the, you know, it could be in a church or it could be in a, a work environment. You know, if someone's feeling like they can't carry it, they can't keep right. going, where, where does the onus lie? Right. Very boring answer, but it lies in both camps, really. Like if I'm leading a team, right? And the person, like if the person reporting to me is at that place or about to get to the place of just putting their hand up and saying, I'm done, it's enough, too much, moving on or whatever. Yeah. First of all, how aware have I been of their journey and their journey to this place? Second part of that question is, I would like to know what that person individually mm. has, been doing, has been doing on their way to this place. I think awareness is at the forefront of leadership mm. because awareness then helps me make the right decisions and respond correctly. Mm. So the whole, that, that whole idea, it's both people are responsible. The individual is responsible. But as their leader, I'm also responsible for asking them the, the questions that maybe nobody else will. Because burnout is not necessarily about a job. Right. Generally, the way things go with these things is that there is a collapse on a few different other fronts. Hmm. And it all culminates in one place and it will, we call it burnout. So hmm. it's not hmm. the, the job, yes, may leg legitimately be too much, but I can guarantee there have been other components of their world that have probably haven't been upheld or haven't been in a good place. Hmm. So I guess as a leader, I'm asking the questions and I'm staying in tune with where the teams are at and mm. nothing is necessarily catching me by surprise, so to speak. Right. And so if somebody's on their way to this place and I can see, I'm hopefully I can see it from a mile away. Mm. And yes, while I may not be able to do everything for them, I'm going to ask the questions and hopefully trigger the right responses. Mm. So yes, it is avoidable, but at the same time, I understand there's that no one, per, like, but as a leader, I, maybe I need to change the circumstances they work in. Hmm. Maybe that is a legitimately legitimate concern, right. and that is probably true. But there's also the question about what they're doing on their on their own and what they hmm. what kind of um, measures they're taking to be able to live a healthy life. Hmm. We've talked lots about vitality as part of our creative yes, compass, right. and I know that there's things that you've put in place in your life yeah. that I guess from a personal perspective you've needed to do in order to refresh yourself yeah. and keep I guess centered. Yeah. Tell us about that and that journey. Yeah. Without taking too much time, end of 2015 was the best of times, was the worst of times, right? Right. <laughs> you know, like progress, mm. I was seeing the role, my role was changing and everything mm. else. There was more responsibility being, in a sense, awarded to me because mm. I had been faithful with whatever was given to me. And that was great. Mm. But at the same time, on the inside and the rest of my world had been slowly kind of, in a sense, been caving in a little bit. Mm -hmm. At the time, I hadn't done what the homework to be able to make sure that I was actually doing what it's supposed to do. So for me, really practically speaking, after after that point in time, I came back, and this is fairly common for most people, but I, I decided to look after myself. I began riding a bike to get myself healthy. I began eating real food. <laughs> I read a book and I made a friend. Now, there's nothing grand and nothing new about that, I'm sure. I'm sure we've all heard it in some shape or form. But that is that formed the basis of me getting back to a place where I actually could sustain the expectation mm. and sustain the effort that was needed for and mm. based on the expectation that was put on me. So I ride my bike five out of seven mornings a week. I'm up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm up riding my bike for about an hour and a half or so, <laughs> back home, do breakfast with the family, then get ready for work, come do a day's work, head back home, do dinner, mm. you know, spend time with the kids. But that's the thing. It's interesting that that the grand revelation going from the place of just barely keeping up with things to being in a place where I feel like and it's a stretch, but it's a stretch that I'm actually welcoming. Mm. That was, it wasn't anything grand necessarily. It's doing the things we all know to do. Mm. I once got told that sometimes we don't necessarily need 
more instructing. We just need more reminding. <laughs> right. And if we did the things we know to do, maybe we wouldn't be where we are now. Mm. So I didn't do anything new. There wasn't a new revelation. I just did the things that I knew I should have been doing. Right. You know? Which, I mean, it sounds counterintuitive <laughs> to, to um, you're feeling overwhelmed, but then you've got to add something into life in order to feel less overwhelmed. Because there's different sorts of tired, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, that's right. And there's a, yeah, there's a kind of tired that you can fix or remedy by a good night's sleep. Mm. And there's a tired that, you know, that you, that you carry with you that just weighs you down. Mm. and just in a sense sucks the life out of you there's nothing wrong with being tired I think we spoke about this it's effort Mm. what we're responsible for is effort so being tired we don't shy away from being tired but hopefully our tiredness is being generated by the right things Mm -hmm. you know and not just a weariness and a a sense of defeat and a sense of you know being overburdened that's Mm. a different kind of tired Mm. and weariness I think the tired of I've done a good day's work I'm actually tired but I need to go to sleep that's great Mm. that's what Mm. I feel like life should be Mm. very good We'll get right back to the episode, brought to you by our Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference, which happens in Sydney, Australia. It's for every kind of creative, whether you're a musician, singer, a graphic designer, architect, an audio engineer, or video editor. It's a place for the artists of the church to gather together, to worship, to be inspired and refreshed, and to be equipped and trained for your sphere of creativity. Find out more details at hillsong.com forward slash WCC. Now, let's get back to the episode. This is Mushiri Gateri, and these are my Fantastic Four. My favorite time of day, without a doubt, is the morning. Early morning. A job I'd be terrible at, I think, would be maybe like fashion design or something. Something I believe that maybe the rest of the world might think is insane is that I'm not sure that a lot of our issues as a society are necessarily societal issues as they are individualistic. The title of the current chapter of my life would have to be Hold On, Be Strong, Remember Where Your Strength Comes From, which is probably which is the words of a song we're currently singing. So we have a, a CT team, a creative technology team, yeah. not just a production team. We, we call it CT. Yeah. How is production creative? I think these days, right? And so especially more nowadays, the world of technology is probably driving creativity more than it ever has. How you so? Know, so you look, okay, so the, the products that are being created to then be used in the creative realm mm-hmm. are in and of themselves are such a creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. LED screens, let's take those because I feel like those that's a fairly common thing now. Mm. But that in itself, we obviously we appreciate what it gives us and what it enables us to do and the effect it creates and great. But that in itself, to get it to what it's doing now, mm. before it even, it even gets turned on, the development, the, the, the manufacturing and everything else and the fact that somebody thought to do that is such a creative thing because somebody saw that screen before it was ever turned on. Right. Somebody decided to sit back and say, you know what, what if we created a big screen mm. with little LEDs that could be seen in daylight if mm. needed. Mm. Wow. And then that existed. And then the creative producer went and said, oh, I could do this with that. Mm. And the video editor said, wow, that means now when I have a blackout, I can have a blackout because when you have projection screens, you still have a big white screen sitting there. Right. Now when I have a blackout, I turn the actual screen off and mm. it's a legitimate blackout. Mm. I can do so much with that. Mm. I may, you, know, you know what I mean? So sure. the whole thing is a creative, the creative, 
part of it doesn't necessarily get expression on stage, the technological part of it. Mm. We see what the screen gives us, but right. the guy who who sat there and mm. imagined this thing long before it ever existed, that is a true creative. Mm. Now, screens are a good example because yeah. they're really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. So should should every church or how do you justify uh, such expense? I feel like it, with the way you justify, and this is actually, that's a very good question because I think what happens sometimes, and I know we've been here before, if I was to be really honest, is that when we cost things up, this is very practical, right? When we're budgets and whether it's for installs in locations or conferences, it can be done in a silo, which is, you know I mean? Because now I can, and I can justify why I want to spend X amount because I want the best of this. Mm-hmm. And this is where, again, the leadership comes in, where if I am spending X thousand amount of dollars or I'm telling my pastor he needs to spend X amount thousand of dollars for a screen because it's amazing and it'll give him this. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Except if I've done that without an understanding of where the greater conference or the greater church project is, then I've missed the point here. Mm-hmm. Because if, for example, if me convincing my pastor he must have the screen for this, and I could probably make an argument for it and I can use technological jargon and say paint all these pictures and make him believe that he, this is, oh yeah, he must have this. Mm. But if I've done that and that, mean, that meant that we weren't able to get a kids facility, so which means there's no, the kids program has been compromised or anything else. If I don't have that perspective, I feel mm. like I'm doing the church a, dis, a disservice, mm. which is why, again, going back to the whole idea of a silo, I cannot be functioning in a silo. Mm. Otherwise, I will have no context of where the church is at. Mm. And maybe I do need to just suck it up a little bit mm. and not get the LED screen that I want. Because why? We get a kids program mm. or facilities that are now allow, you know, or we can buy, I don't know, wheelchairs for the for the, for the the mobility impaired. Or, you know what I mean? Like the mm. perspective. Mm. So it's not like it's good or bad. It's not necessarily there's a blanket answer. It's just that it needs to be done in conjunction with whatever else is happening in church life. Mm. And that's a very important component. Yes, we will push forward, hopefully in a creative perspective, but mm. never at the expense of maybe something that's a little bit more important than what we're doing. Mm. And hopefully we have that priority in mind. Right. <laughs> I hope so anyway. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really easy to yeah. get caught up in the new technology or <laughs> the greatest microphones or the greatest new thing that's happening and to forget. That is so real. Yes, that is so true. I guess particularly in church world to forget that someone's tithes and offerings are paying for that. Absolutely. And so the great screen, sometimes it's not the best thing Absolutely, to do. correct. Um, yeah. Then again, on the flip side, sometimes it is. Exactly. Sometimes it's appropriate. Exactly. And um, sometimes yeah. the new technology pr- is perhaps cheaper than it used to be or exactly those sorts right. of things. And, or, that's, and this is the thing of being able to be, able, when you're crafting these sort of things, being able to be future-proofing. Now, you can't really future-proof because mm. everything's still everything moves. LED screens will become obsolete one day. We all know that. Sure. Mm. So if you can make, for example, if you, if I can go to my pastor and say, hey, if you get this LED screen, this cuts our electricity costs by this much. Mm. And in two, three, five, ten years with this, the maintenance costs go down, the electricity costs go down, and the costs, you know, you have those kind of conversations mm. of, it's not just about the product. It's, there's a benefit to this that goes beyond me having a really awesome screen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When we have done this with the lighting in the with, in our big auditorium here, where mm. our power bill now, if somebody was to compare the power bill now to what it was about 10 years ago when we, or with the first lights we put in, mm. significantly less. Mm. What it's done over time, you know, our power bill tells a story, so yeah, to speak. Right. You know? So there's things like that. But again, it needs to be transparent mm. and it needs to be in, it can't, we cannot, yeah, the transparency and honesty needs to be at the forefront and mm. the ability to be able to hear, no, thank you, and it's okay. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, the, I find sometimes with the production area, yeah. creative technology, there's a language that you'll use that I don't right, know. Right, yeah. And so the relationship between someone like yourself and myself yeah. has to be really good and, like you say, honest and truthful. Yes. We have to be on the same page. Absolutely. Going for the same end goal. Yeah. So that it doesn't become, like you said, siloed. There's, yeah. there's a department that wants to do something great in their area that costs lots of money that isn't actually going to reap a benefit. And yet, like the, the flip side of that is that leadership, we have to understand that sometimes the long game is what we're playing. Yes. And so a little bit more of a spend now might end up being uh, reaping a reward down the Absolutely. track. Yeah. Absolutely. Shifting gear just again yeah. slightly. We would say that the production team are worship leaders just yeah. like the person standing on the platform. Yeah. Talk to me about how a lighting engineer is a worship leader. The foundational belief in that is that we are there to, first of all, be aware of the moments that are happening and then enhance the moments and make sure that we're creating an environment that actually people can engage. That's really it there. Mm -hmm. So when we take time to craft openers for Mino Hilson Conference, that's one of our largest platforms, Mm -hmm. that is a collaboration of sonics and visual and like it's it's not like we're we, we're going for all this as many senses as we can here that's exactly right because we're, we're, we're looking at creating an experience i'm not we're not looking at creating a great mix we're not looking at creating a great video we're not looking at creating a great lighting show we're looking at creating an, an incredible experience that invites people and sends people a certain journey on a certain journey to a certain outcome, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whatever it is we're trying to say with that experience. And so if, if I'm a lighting guy, I need to understand that, mm-hmm. that even though, yes, I am responsible to bring my best to the lighting, it's my best in context of, mm. and that means sometimes deferring to the video or deferring to this because the experience is enhanced. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation we have with our guys going that, man, I want you to be the most amazing lighting guy always in context of, because yeah. you never really, you never really do your thing as your thing. Mm. It's your thing but it's your thing amongst everything else. Yeah. But. Which is a little bit like the word talks about the church being a body. Yeah. And the hand can't function alone. The foot can't function alone. It's, it needs all the parts. Absolutely. So in a church service. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, exactly we need right. the lights to be able to see the worship leader standing <laughs> exactly, on the platform. Exactly right. And you need the sound guy to be able to turn the, the uh, audio the up. Yeah, exactly. Um, or else the, the person can't on the platform can't be heard. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's this... I think it's a beautiful expression of of being in sync and working together. And that is that I think that's a that's a very important thing. We've worked so hard over over this to make to close the gaps where they have been and redefine what our teams are responsible for and what what it means to be on our team. Mm. That takes its own that has, has its own challenges depending on how depending how rooted you are or in a certain way of thinking and doing things. Mm. But I think that's where you have my people like myself in place that hopefully we can carry what you guys, you know, what you and Cass want for this team, mm. hopefully when I w- we walk out of our meetings, hopefully I'm carrying that mm. to the lighting guy and to the audio guy. And so mm. when we come into a conference situation, you know, you don't find yourself, you know, you and Cass aren't going, oh, there seems to be a bit of a difference in, uh, 
<laughs> in, in preferred outcome here, right. you know, or whatever the case may be. I would, you'd hope that's why, again, which is why it goes back to the whole idea of needing leaders in the whole creative technology or production mm. world, because it's not as skilled as you are. If it's not skilled in context of, in, you missed the point. Mm. So, you know, the challenge has been for people like myself, even though we, we, we came through as technical people, that I've really got to adopt a leadership stance because in terms of gathering a team together and pointing them all in the right direction, hmm. that's not a technical skill. That's hmm. a leadership skill. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you know, so oh. yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that certainly in our church and, and others, there's been a, um, a hierarchy of importance. And so the person on the platform is seen as more important than yeah. the person who's pushing the faders or, or right. you know, doing right. monitors or whatnot. And um, I guess what we've tried to instill in the team, and as you know, but is that we're all bringing our part and we're all serving. And so we can't have the sound guy yelling at the <laughs> worship team to turn down their guitars or something. And we can't have the, <laughs> the other way around, the yeah. other way around either. <laughs> we're actually trying to achieve yeah. the same thing, which is yeah. which is lead the congregation towards yeah. Jesus, point yeah. them in His direction. So hopefully, none of us are actually seen, but He is, yeah. and, and we're just functioning to. Um, to display his glory and not Absolutely. our own in any you know in any function that we might play but i think if we take the if we take the stance of service every time that's a fairly good place to start mm-hmm. now let's let's have a conversation about the mechanics once we understand and have taken the stance of service mm-hmm. it's a much easier place to start from you know yeah. than trying to protect whatever it is that i feel like i'm responsible for mm-hmm. so well, Mashiri, it's been fun chatting. I really appreciate your take on life, but also on things like burnout, yeah. things like leading teams, yeah. and um, and even just walking through the the doors that God opens, yeah. um, and not necessarily trying to push doors down, but just yeah. seeing what He has in yeah, it, and um, and doing that to the best of your ability. Yeah. So, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. It's been really be good. A, a blessing to people. Thank you. So next up, we've got today's Q&A. So we're answering some of your questions. Let's jump straight into it. So next up, we've got a question. Actually, there was a couple of questions that were quite similar, one from Jesse and one from Timothy. I hope you guys hear that the, these similarities in these questions. One says, um, how do you give creatives in training responsibility without sacrificing quality? And the other question was, how do you raise up leaders or creatives while still maintaining excellence. So I guess the the gist of it is, I've got Autumn Hardman here. The gist of it is, how do you keep excellence, a standard of excellence, but also bring through new people? Gee, that's such a good question. I don't know if I have all of the answers to this, but that's an amazing question. Mm. Um, Thanks, guys, for asking that. Mm. Um, I hope I can do it a partial justice. (laughs) It's something we deal with all the time Mm. because one of the core values of our church is that we're generational. So we're always raising up new people. We're always involving new. Mm. We have a college here. We have a great youth ministry. And so if we're not growing, if we're not bringing new people in, we're doing something wrong. Mm. The challenge with excellence in that is how do you bring new people through and not have your standard drop? I think it's it's about the environment. It's about how many people you bring in. Um, are they well supported? Mm. What level of standard are they at? Mm. One of the key things we do say, for instance, with musicians, um, I, I serve on our weekend team. And so if, if someone's coming through as a musician, we would probably do one new person in the band. We wouldn't do two new players because then they're really well supported. On our team, we do two keyboard players. And so if I'm on with a brand new person, mm. I know that ahead of time so I can go, okay, and I kind of safeguard them. So mm. I have most of the sound 
sounds lined up and I have a chat with them and suss out what they're confident with. And we have, I think a key part of this is relationship. Mm. As the leader, I need to actually know what their skill level is, what is their capacity, and then I can't throw them in over their head. Mm. We've got to actually safeguard them mm. and bring them through. Um, and so I think we, on the platform, uh, we wouldn't put too many people new, uh, too many new people on. And we would safeguard what we give them. So we wouldn't give them the, the key lead role in every in every song. Same thing with our worship leaders. If we're bringing someone through, if it's their very first time leading, we'd probably give them a verse or a bridge, mm. introduce them to the church so that they just have a small portion, but they're uh, protected and safeguarded. Um, and I think in giving people responsibility, it's pretty similar. Um, that we set out expectations of what we need someone to do mm. and we introduce them to the people around them and then we kind of do what we can to safeguard them. Mm. And um, I think that excellence is progressive. Mm. One of the things we love to say in training is if I'm always doing my best, then my best today is not my best for tomorrow. My best tomorrow grows on what I learned yesterday. Yeah. And so hopefully excellence is just me bringing my best at any given time. Hmm. And so hopefully your team, as they keep getting rostered, their standard of excellence grows hmm. and they keep getting better. And as leaders in training, everything continues to grow. Hmm. We're really careful and cautious with feedback as well. When we bring uh, a new person through, if, if I know it's someone's first Sunday, I'm not going to point out all of their flaws. <laughs> I'm just going to go, hey, great job, mate. Mm -hmm. And then at some point during the week, we'll catch up with him, have a chat to him about maybe one or two things max mm -hmm. that he could improve. I'm not going to tell him everything I noticed. Mm -hmm. And we continue to work with him. Mm -hmm. And another thing that we do, if you're in a location where there's multiple services or different places, often our youth team, before we roster them on a main service, we go and observe them in mm. youth when sometimes they don't even know we're watching. We champion them from the, you know, from the back row, we'll sneak into youth yeah. and go, oh, that kid is leading worship. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. And that's a little bit our way of seeing where they're at. Mm. Um, in their environment where they're comfortable, we can see them, um, observe what standard they're at, and then observe whenever they're ready to mm. take on something new. The very last thing I'll say, I'm sorry, I've gone on for a long time, is if you think of it in context of uh, flying airplanes, mm -hmm. there's the little airplanes that only require, you know, 10 hours of air pilot time to yeah. fly. And then as as the airplane size increases, mm. your level of training increases, mm. we kind of approach that with some of our services that sometimes there's there's nothing wrong that say, you know, Nigel's one of the only people that would play on some of our biggest platforms. It doesn't mean there's anything better than Nigel than anyone else. It's actually that he's had so much flight time mm. that he's experienced and yeah. he's equipped. And so in bringing people through, it's really important to assess maybe what their flight time is mm. and where is appropriate for them to be playing and outworking and leading for their own well-being and development as a person. That's awesome. Well, I hope that answers your question and I hope that you can bring through teams excellently. Well, that's it for today's episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. We'd also like to hear from you too. So if you have a comment, you can do that on our Instagram, which is at HillsongWCC, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.